It's a real privilege and pleasure for me to come and to share with you God's Word tonight. Uh, I confess that I had a hard time trying to let the Lord lead me in what we ought to say and what we ought to share tonight. But I found a verse of Scripture that I have read and you have read many, many, many times. And so I'm going to focus on that tonight. We'll read that Scripture in just a moment. But I hope tonight that we will learn one thing, and that is that Jesus does not have to be physically present for us to experience a miracle that he can perform. We're going to meet a Roman centurion tonight. And his faith, the Bible says, astonished Jesus. It's all about faith. Trusting that Jesus can always do what he said he would do. You know, we live in a very skeptical world today. And you, like myself, receive offers for certain things on a daily basis. How many of you have ever received these robocalls trying to get you to buy something? Those that didn't raise their hands, you're not telling the truth. Because I know if you've got a phone, you receive them. There are a lot of offers that we hear about that we should not accept. I read about one of those this week. There was a, once upon a time, there was a beautiful princess that was walking through the forest surrounding her castle. She sat down on a bench to admire the beautiful scenery all around her. And a large bullfrog hopped up and said to her, Elegant lady, I was once a handsome prince until a wicked witch cast a spell on me. One kiss from you will break the spell. I will turn into a dapper young prince. I will marry you and move into your castle. My mother can join us there and you can cook my meals. You can wash my laundry. You can bear my children and you can enjoy all of my charms for a long, long time. That same night, as the princess sat down to a delicious meal of lightly sautéed frog legs, seasoned with butter and herbs, she said to her meal, Thanks, but no thanks. But you are right about one thing. I am enjoying you very much. You know, there are some offers that we just can't accept. But when Jesus offers us help, healing, hope, and forgiveness, we should accept his offer. But the only way that we can receive the blessings that Jesus has for each one of us is by faith. I want us to see tonight how a feeble faith that we possess probably can be transformed into great faith. I want us to focus on great faith tonight. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to read with me, turn to Matthew chapter 8. And we're going to read, begin reading with verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. 
When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. And he said to those following him, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Have you ever noticed in the Bible when you're reading that Jesus talked with people that the crowd many times rejected? He talked with uh, tax collectors. He spoke with prostitutes, with lepers, even with little children when, the, when his disciples tried to shoo them away. And in this case, he speaks with a Gentile. And worse than that, a Roman soldier. Now, we know that the Jews hated Gentiles and they despised even more the Romans. This Italian was not just a soldier. He was a commander of a hundred other Roman soldiers who were occupying Israel. Most Jews tried to avoid the Romans, especially the soldiers, and they spat on the ground once they had passed. We're reminded here that Jesus receives any kind of person. And I think that should give us hope today because none of us are too sinful to be outside the love and the mercy of Jesus. Jesus made an astonishing observation about the centurion's faith. The Bible says he was astonished. Now Jesus said and Jesus did many things that astonished other people. But this is the only time in the Bible, in the New Testament where it says he was astonished by the faith of this centurion. And he told his disciples and those who were following him, I have never seen such great faith in all of Israel. And that, my friends, is quite a statement coming from the Son of God. If Jesus was commenting on my faith tonight, I don't think he would be astonished. I'm afraid of how he would describe that. Would he say that you and I have great faith? Well, tonight, in the time that I'm allotted, I want us to look at the characteristics of this man's great faith. First of all, great faith is always concerned about the needs of others. You see, the first thing the centurion did or said to Jesus was, Lord, my servant lies at home and he's paralyzed and he's suffering terribly. He didn't ask Jesus for something for himself. He was there for the suffering servant. In a parallel pa passage that the, the Apostle Luke in chapter 7 points out that this centurion was very, very wealthy. The word for servant here also could be translated slave. The Jews could not own slaves, but the Romans in Israel used slaves as their servants. So as such a powerful and wealthy man, it would have been very easy for him to, to find another slave to replace the one that was sick. But this centurion cared enough about this person that he sought out Jesus to help him. You see, a mark of someone with great faith is that they are constantly concerned for the needs of others. If Jesus stood before us tonight 
And he asked each one of us what we would like to have. You can have anything you want. Would you or would I ask him to help someone else? Are, are we more concerned about our own needs? Or do we care more for the necessities and the needs of others? Frank was 70 years old. His wife, Alice, was also 70. They were celebrating his wife's 70th birthday at a friend's house. Frank wandered into a display room full of a lot of antiques and artifacts. He picked up a strange-looking lamp, and a female genie appeared. She said, because you have freed me from the lamp, I'm going to grant you one wish. So Frank thought about thought about it for a moment, and he thought about Alice. Alice was getting old and cranky, and he thought how nice it would be to have a younger wife. So he said to the genie, I want a wife 25 years younger than me. And the genie looked at him and said, are you sure? And he said, yes, I'm sure. The genie blinked her eyes, and Frank was 95 years old. You know, that, that story reminds me of our prayer life sometimes. Our prayers often become so selfish that they become what one pastor called Polly want a cracker prayers. We ask God. This miracle is a great parable about intercessory prayer. When we pray for others, we're doing the same thing the centurion did. We come before Jesus and we ask him to help those that we love, help those that we're concerned about. If you want to strengthen your faith tonight, try praying for the needs of others instead of praying for our own needs. Now, the second characteristic of great faith is that it's always bathed in humility. Jesus offered to accompany this centurion to his home, but the centurion said, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Luke in the parallel passage in chapter 7, tells us that the Jewish leaders asked Jesus to help the centurion because he had given money to, he- to help them build the synagogue in Capernaum. In other words, this man was what we would call a big shot. He was a VIP. And most VIPs demand special treatment. A- a- and Roman soldiers had the authority to compel the Jews to do work for them. In Matthew 5, 41, Jesus said, If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. He was talking about the right of any Roman soldier to demand a Jew to carry their equipment for at least a mile. But this man, rather than strutting up to Jesus and demanding a miracle, the centurion displayed his humility. First of all, he called Jesus Lord That was both a term of respect, like saying, sir, as well as a profession of faith, because the centurion evidently believed that Jesus was divine. By telling Jesus he didn't expect him to enter his house, the centurion was politely helping Jesus to save face, which was very important in that culture in that day and time. Because you see, according to the oral oral tradition of, of of the Jews, Jesus would have violated the kosher law and become unclean had he entered a Gentile's house. The Jewish leaders were were more than willing to accept money from this centurion, but they would have never been caught dead going into his house. 
The Bible says in the book that we're studying on Sunday morning with our pastor in James 4, 6, the Lord opposes the proud, but what? But gives grace to the humble. If we strut into God's presence and demand that he bless us, we should not expect positive answers to our prayer. Sometimes we pray like this, if not in actual words, but in attitude. Lord, I'm a good person. I've been faithful to this church for years. I give my money to your church. I deserve this blessing. That's quite different from the attitude of the centurion who said, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. A group of tourists were visiting the house where Beethoven, the great composer, spent his last year. They came to the conservatory where his piano was located. The guide quietly said, and here is the master's piano. A very thoughtless woman pushed her way from the edge of the crowd, sat down on the bench, and began to play one of Beethoven's sonatas. She paused and said to the guide, Well, I suppose a lot of people like like me enjoy playing Beethoven's piano. And the guide replied, Well, miss, the great pianist Paderewski was here last summer, and some of his group begged him to sit and play on Beethoven's piano. But he told them, no, I cannot, because I am not worthy. That was the attitude of the centurion. And that attitude should be our attitude. Lord, I'm not worthy to receive anything good from you. I have never never done anything to deserve or to earn your grace and your forgiveness. Every good thing we receive from God is because of his love and his grace, not because of our worthiness. Great faith. Great faith is always married to true humility. Now, the third thing that we find about great faith, great faith does not need visible evidence. God's word is sufficient. The centurion didn't need to see any visible evidence of a miracle. He said to Jesus, just say the word and my servant will be healed. The essence of great faith is to believe God Believe God without any physical evidence, without seeing any evidence. Unbelief says, I I believe when I see it. Faith belief says, I believe it whether I see it or not. Great faith is not talking about quantity of faith. It's talking about the quality of your faith. We can often pray for more faith. But Jesus said, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed... You can move mountains. And so the centurion didn't just have faith that his servant would get better. He put his faith in Jesus. Faith is only as good as the object of our faith. Great faith is great because of the great God who is the object of our faith. Let me move on. I read a story about a pioneer preacher who traveled on his horse preaching in the remote villages. One winter, he needed to cross the frozen Mississippi River, and he he was nowhere near a bridge. And so, not knowing the thickness of the ice, he tied up his horse and began to walk out slowly on the ice. As he got farther and farther from the shore, he began to doubt the strength of the ice to hold him. Soon, he completely lost his nerve, and he fell down on his hands and knees and turned, and he began to crawl back to the bank. Hands and knees, 
trembling because he was afraid the ice would break. And suddenly he heard a loud noise and he turned to see what was happening. He thought the ice was cracking beneath him. He offered a prayer to God for deliverance. Then he looked back and he saw the source of the noise. He saw it was a a lumberjack, a local lumberjack, leading a team of horses, dragging a heavy load of logs across the ice. When he saw that, the preacher jumped up, got his horse, crossed the ice without any fear. Now, the river hadn't changed. The thickness of the ice had not changed. The only thing that changed was the faith of the preacher. Do we have the kind of feeble faith in God's promises that makes us crawl on thin ice? Or do we have the kind of faith that God's word is as solid as the ground beneath our feet? Now, the fourth thing, great faith knows spiritual authority. The centurion made an important statement. And I think I've missed it too many times as I've read it over and over. You have to pay close attention. He said, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, the centurion didn't brag first that he was a man in authority. He said he was a man under authority, under authority. Some people are so enamored by their rank or their position in life that they like to flaunt it. They like to show other people how, how well off I am, how important I am. I read about a newly commissioned lieutenant was sitting behind his desk and on the first day of his new assignment. He heard a knock at the door and he wanted to impress whoever it was. And so he quickly picked up the phone and said, come in. And as the lowly private entered the room, the lieutenant said into the phone, Yes, sir, Colonel, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate your calling to welcome me. General Rogers just called me a few moments ago to welcome me also. Yes, sir, I look forward to working with you. Good day, Colonel. The officer slammed the phone down and said to the private, What do you want? Can't you see I'm a busy man? And the private said, Yes, sir, I can tell. I'm here to hook up your phone. The centurion didn't pull rank on Jesus. He understood spiritual authority is much like the military chain of command. The centurion didn't say what I expected him to say. He said, I am a man under authority. Why didn't he say, and when Caesar or my commander tells me to do something, I do it. Instead, he talked about being under authority. He mentioned that he had authority over his soldiers and his servants. He was simply saying, I live under authority, therefore I have authority. Now this might not be too astonishing to you, but what we're about, uh, what it was about was his profession of faith that astonished Jesus. He said in the NIV, it says, I myself am a man under authority. But a better translation is, I too, T-O-O, I too am a man under authority. That little three letter word, too, caught Jesus' attention. And it caused him to be astonished. What the centurion was really saying is, Lord, I'm a man under authority like you, and I'm a man in authority like you. I don't have to run my errands. I've, I've commanded one of my soldiers to do it, and he does it. And I know that you have the authority over sickness and suffering. All you have to do, Lord, is give the order, and sickness will say, yes, sir, I'm leaving now. You may be wondering, under whose authority did Jesus live? Well, when he came to earth... The Bible teaches us he placed himself 
under the authority of his Father in heaven. He said he came to do the Father's work. Because he was under authority, he possessed authority. In the same way the Roman centurion was under the authority of the emperor, he had the emperor's authority, the emperor's seal over his soldiers. Now, what does that application mean to us? Well, in the Great Commission, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus gave us not only authority, but he gave us the power to use that authority. You see, there's a big difference between power and authority. A government man was taking a geological reading for the Department of Interior. He approached one old farmer and said, Sir, I've been authorized by the government to go out into your pasture and take some readings. Do you mind if I do that? And the old farmer said, Sir, you can't go out in my pasture. And the government man got a little perturbed and he brought out a piece of paper signed by the Secretary of the Interior that gave him the authority to take his readings anywhere he wanted to take them. He showed that to the farmer. He said, see there, I, on this paper, I have the authority to go into your pasture. And he started climbing over the fence. And the old farmer said again, I'll tell you again, you, you can't go into my pasture. The government man continued, he arrived in the middle of the pasture, was setting up his equipment when the ground began to shake. He turned and looked, and there was a mean old bull running toward him with his head lowered. The government man forgot his equipment, started running as fast as he could to the fence, and he cried out to the farmer, help me, help me. And the farmer shouted back, show him your papers. (laughs) You see, he had authority, but he didn't have power. But Jesus has given us both the authority and the power. And the only way to exercise that spiritual authority and power is if we fully submit to the authority of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Great faith always surrenders to Jesus as our commander in chief. Now, the fifth thing is great faith receives God's reward. When Jesus heard the request of the centurion, he said, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And the Bible tells us the servant was healed at that very hour. God rewarded the centurion's faith. And until we get to heaven, we must exercise faith now to receive God's blessings. When when we go to the store, as my wife does quite often, you you use money or your credit card to exchange for products that you want to purchase. Let me tell you, faith, faith is the only currency accepted by God. Charles Spurgeon once said, Bible promises are like checks drawn on heaven's bank that we endorse by faith and present to God for payment. Faith is your greatest asset and unbelief is your greatest liability. You see, God does not accept logic He does not accept reason. He does not accept good works. He does not accept visa. Faith is not. Faith is not his preferred currency. It is his only currency. It's the only currency accepted in heaven. I believe perhaps the most instructive verse in the Bible about faith is found in Hebrews chapter 11. Without faith, 
it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You don't have to understand everything about faith to employ it. You only have to know that without faith, you can never please God. It is faith that allows you to believe in God. It is faith that allows you to trust in God. In other words, God's not out to punish us. God's not playing hide and seek with us. He simply wants us, wants us to be rewarded when we seek Him through faith. I read a story a couple of weeks ago that I want to close with tonight. If you went to a track meet in the city of Stilicon and went to the high school track meet a few years ago, you would have seen an unusual sight. One of the members of the girls track team, her name was Natalie McCarthy, was lined up for the 100-yard dash. She crouched at the starting line. And if you took careful note, you would see that she was a little different. Otherwise, she looked like all the other teenage girls. But Natalie had an earpiece in one ear connected with a small radio that she had in her fanny pack. You see, Natalie is blind. Her father was sitting in the stands with a transmitter. And as the starter's gun sounded, Natalie flew out of starting blocks running at full speed. And as she ran, her father gave her slight course corrections to keep her in her lane on the track. Natalie competed in the 100-yard dash, the 200-yard dash, and the long jump. For the long jump, those of you who've seen it, there's a long runway, and then there's the pit where the sand is. She would sprint down the runway guided by her father. And when she approached the jump line, the father would say, jump. And she would launch herself out into the air based simply, based simply on the voice of her father. I think that's a great illustration of faith. The Bible teaches us that life is like a race. And we're moving toward a goal that we cannot see with our physical eyes. But our father continuously speaks into our spiritual ears with his word, the Bible. And he guides us through all the obstacles of life toward our goal, if we will listen and obey with our faith. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. And sometimes, sometimes we find ourselves at a place where God says, jump. And our only response should be, how high, Lord? You see, I want to ask you, have you ever heard of a leap of faith? Someone said, faith is coming to the end of all that we can see. Faith is coming to the end of all we can see and hearing God say, jump. Faith is obeying him. And believing there will either be something solid upon which we will land or that God will teach us how to fly in that moment. Great faith. Great faith. It astonished Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Each time we open it, we learn. But we need your Holy Spirit to guide us as we try to apply it to our lives. I pray for each one here tonight that... Our feeble faith will grow into great faith as we simply trust in your word and as your spirit guides us day by day.
Help us to be aware of the opportunities we have that we can share our faith with others and they can come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If there be one here tonight, Father, who's never given that life to Jesus through faith, I pray that where they sit right now, your spirit will tug at their hearts. They will open their hearts and their mind and say, come, Lord Jesus, come into me today. Give me a new life, an abundant life that I could walk with you daily. And for those of us who've walked with you for a long time, we still need help. Lord, we need to to dedicate, to rededicate our lives to you daily and say, Lord, if there's one today that you'll bring me in contact with, use me. Use me as one of your disciples to lead them to you. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.